Okay, so continuing with um, with this safer and Rav Cook, and as a as a uh, hakdama to a few hakdamas uh, for the time of year that we're in, of of the Bain Hametzarim, the, the the days as we're now it's tonight really begins the the Bain Hametzarim tomorrow is Shabbos Batamas. tonight really is Shabbos Batamas. The Klayakar says that the Bain Hametzarim is in between the two walls. It's that's a it's a pasik that we that we um whoever chases after her can find her in between the walls, which seems to be that like you know imprisoned, stuck in between two walls. Klayakar says it's the Shivasabatamas <coughs> was the Khaida Egel and Tishaba was the Khaina Maraglam. So the three weeks are stuck in between on either side by these two terrible experiences that happen. And of course, there's a lot to say about those two Badafka, those two Averas and, and the significance that they had and what they have to do with this time of year. But we're gonna go to our continued Limud and we're gonna use that Limud as a, as a, jump, a jumping uh, uh, springboard into a conversation that hopefully um, will bring us, lead us to Tishabov in a way that's um, meaningful, in a way that's personal, and in a way that's relevant. So one of the things that I think about every year as we enter these times is that um, it's not so much that the three weeks are a sad time. It's that the three weeks are our time to, to, to engage sadness. It's a different, it's a, there's a different perspective. It's not that there's a mitzvah to make ourselves sad. It's that sadness is in the air and our mitzvah is to figure out how do we deal with that? How do we deal with sadness? How do we celebrate sadness? How do we engage sadness? <clears throat> the Swarm the explained that, that to find Hashem in between the walls means that you find Hashem in narrow places. So it's bedafka in narrow places where you find, where you find Hashem. Hashem is the closest, the most concentrated if something is between is is <clears throat> between two uh, two walls, then that means that there's a much more concentrated, thicker, intense presence of Hashem. So, to try to lead us in a way where we can get to an experience of Tishbav in a healthy way and get to the other side of Tishbav, which is all about Nachamu. Shabbos Nachamu, the whole purpose of Tishabov, the whole purpose of Gullus, the whole purpose of Tsar is to make it across the bridge to Nachama, to have Nachama, and to live a life that's, that has already been worked through and purified and healed. That's the purpose of all of this. So it's, the purpose is not sadness. It's not a purpose to make ourselves sad. It's that we, we live through these three weeks as a way of learning how to encounter sadness. The rest of the year, we're not meant to be sad. We're supposed to fight sadness. We're supposed to find ways of not being sad. These three weeks, we are given permission to be sad. We are given permission to be deep and dark and to be broken. And there's an avoided to it. And so that's what these few shiram will be about, will be how do we, how do we celebrate uh, brokenness? How do we celebrate the dark side? How do we celebrate, not necessarily happily, but how do we engage with and confront and honor negativity? So in our learning, we're learning uh, the Midas of Rav Kook, the Midas of Ava, 
we're up to Oisayin. And I'll just read to you the few words here and we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit. And then, uh, and then we'll launch into somewhat of a hakdam of, of what I'm thinking about learning together these next few weeks with you guys. <clears throat> so says Rav Kook, when there is in our loving there are resistances and contradictions to love when there are things that prevent us from loving there are things that hold us back from loving if those if those resistances those things that hold us back Say if those things that hold us back are from nature, that we're naturally not capable of loving in that moment, or if the mania, if the steer, the contradiction to that love comes from the Torah, which is something that's very relevant for many people in, in, in our generation. What happens when there is something that prevents us from loving, whether it's because of natural causes or because it's the way Hashem ran the world, or more than that, it's it's a, it's something that's in direct contradiction to the Torah, and we can get out off into a whole different discussion about where then where I want to take this tonight. But let's just read the words: Kishyesh al ha'ahava menias ustiras. When there when there is within love, things that that hold us back from and things that contradict love. Bein men hateva, bein men Either because naturally there's something that prevents us from loving or the terror prevents us from loving, that minia, that which prevents us, him is dakeches yoiser. It purifies love more. Anytime that love needs to be expressed, but there's something that prevents us from expressing that love, then that love gets purified. That love can be transformed. That love can be sublimated, and it can be sent directly to Hashem. That love can be become transcended. Not we don't transcend above the love. The love itself can become transcended up to Hashem. He misdakeches yoiser adshi he misalal etzem ha'ahava lekis. That love can become purified, can become healed, can become transcended until it has risen up to the essence of loving Hashem, the essence of love, which is God. that created all of creation, that is, is feeding us life at all, at all time. Now, this is a very important, this is a very, very important aside, and I don't want to go into practical, any kind of practical applications of this tonight, but just for us to understand on a, on a, theoretical level and then for each of us to figure out in our own ways how to apply that practically love that cannot be expressed can't be experienced relationships that don't work situations in life where alpitava uh, based on the, the natural uh, order of things we don't have a capacity for that love or we might have a capacity for that love but the torah forbids it forbids it what do we do with that love? Now, there's definitely a question, again, in, people, in people's practical lives, there's definitely a question, how can Hashem uh, uh, do such a thing, especially in today's day and age, such a terrible thing, as not give someone the capacity to love? 
how terrible it, it is to be able to want to love someone, to love someone, but not be able to express that love to them. In today's day and age, that's a, a very terrible sign, of course. So if Cook is teaching us that that love, which is true really of all energy, all of life force, if for some way and for some reason, I love someone and that love can't be expressed for whatever reason, whether the Torah says it's forbidden or the Torah or life just doesn't allow me to love that person or that person's unlovable or there isn't a person in my life to love. So where does that love go? What happens to that energy? It would seem to be that that energy falls off the planet and it, it goes by the wayside and it's finished. Or I'll just take it, let's take it from the other angle. What if I need to be loved? What if I need to receive love? What if I need somewhere, somehow, someone to see me, someone to love me, someone to, to be in my life, to be able to see me in a certain way and love me in a certain way, and that doesn't happen? I'll take it a step further. What happens if you're in a relationship with someone and that person loves you, but you don't feel that love? The longing to belong, even when you're a part of something. I don't know what's worse, to not be a part of something and long to belong, or to be a part of something and feel like you don't belong and long to belong and not figure out a way to, be, to, to belong. All of these situations and beyond, we can all think of them, are situations where Alpiteva or Alpiteterra, love is not possible. There's either resistance to love, and I don't know how to break out of it, or there's more than resistance to love. There's a pure contradiction to love. What happens with that love? I'm not asking a question, a theoretical or a theological question on Hashem about why people are in different situations. I'm not going there. But to talk about a concept and to understand the concept, and then we're going to bring it down to, to, to what we're the, the period of time that we're in now. There's no such thing as matter that can be destroyed. Matter can only be transformed. It can never be destroyed. The purest form of matter that exists is love. The purest form of existence is love. The most unadulterated existence of Hashem is love. Love is not a, 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 a uh, uh, it's not part of the, um, what should we call it? The periodic table, right? It's not an element like that. It's not something like any other kind of emotion that exists. Love is the vehicle of transaction. How do you, how do you bring, how do you bring something from point A to point B? So you carry it, you need to carry it somehow. Everything that comes down from Shemayim comes down packaged in love. Nothing comes from Shemayim without love. Everything that's sent down from Shemayim is sent with love. You got oxygen, it's sent with love. You got bread, it's sent with love. You got food, it's sent with love. You got money, it's sent with love. You got electricity, it's sent with love. Everything that's sent down from Shemayim is sent down with love. Love is something that is the purest godliness that exists in this world. So what happens when we in our lives somehow feel like there's a dead end when it comes to love? So if Cook is teaching us that that love can never be destroyed, 
the need for that love, the emptiness of that love, the love for that love, the pain of not having that love, the need for that love, the contradiction for that love, any love that somehow somewhere doesn't seem to be working the right way, that love has an opportunity. That love can be transformed and can be transcended, can be turned back into its purest ingredient, and it can be and it can be sent back to Hashem. Not just sent back to Hashem, it can be experienced as godliness in our life. What I would like to do this this uh, year, Tishabov, is to take apart one capital of Tehillim. And why and how I chose this capital to I'm not exactly sure, but um, actually I, I am. I, I was listening to I was listening to a podcast, and uh, it was a podcast about the enneagram. And the person who was interviewed on the podcast was a was an enneagram number four, and I relate very much to that. It resonates very much with me. And the person quoted um, Psalms. wasn't a Jewish person. He quoted Psalms. And, um, you know, sometimes when you hear something completely out of context, it, it adds a whole new flavor of, uh, of definition. So something struck me very deeply, and I went back to this, this capital film, and I think, it re- I, think it, I think it resonates. And my job, hopefully in the next few weeks, is going to be to try to bring out different points from this capital to Hillam. Like many capitals of Tehillim, this uh, specific chapter of Tehillim is kind of looks like it's it's all over the place. There's different themes within it. David Melch is talking about different themes in it. But I want to read a few sentences from this um, from this parak of Tehillim and and bring it back to this this teaching from Rav Cook and use that as a springboard into what we're going to do the next few weeks. It's <clears throat> chapter one thirty nine. Tehillim Kuflamites. The homework is going to be that when you come back for the next share, you have to have at least read this once or twice so that you know at least what we're what we're talking about. Because I'm not going to go through the whole thing. It's uh, I think it's um, what is it? It's 24, 24 uh, psukim. So at the very least, just like see if you can read through it and familiarize yourself with a little bit of it. So I'm going to read the first two or three sentences, the first two or three psukim. And then from there, um, we're going to talk a little bit about what I think Davon Amalek is, is saying here. There is a shita in the Medrash that says that other Mauritians said this, this capital of Tehillim. But like many capital of Tehillim, it's connected back to Davon Amalek. Mizmar. To Hashem who grants victory to David, Mizmar, there's a song. Hashem Chakartani Bateda. Hashem, you have searched me and you know me. Atiyadata, you know Hashem, Shivti Vikumi. You know my sitting down, my resting, Vikumi and my rising up. Bantalareai Merachai. You understand 
my 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 thoughts even from from far away you have set apart all of my sensuality all of the 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 sensual pleasures of this world and all of my journeys all the places where i go in life you have provided for me there's no words in my tongue in my mouth you hashem know everything we're going to stop there for now i'm going to go through a few more psukim next next week and then the week after but just to go back for a moment and see what see what Ruf cook is writing we start off all of Echa, of Echa Yashva Badad. How is it possible that I sit here, Badad, in loneliness? It's the first real entrance into talking about pain. If we're going to talk about pain, or we're going to talk about negativity, or we're going to talk about sadness. The first thing we have to look at is loneliness. The experience of being Badad, of being alone, of being whether rejected or neglected or isolated what in whatever form loneliness takes. People, when we are in pain, it kicks up within us a tremendous sense of loneliness. Hashem, you have searched me, which means you have searched for me. I'm never ever alone. No matter what happens in this life, I am never, ever alone. If I need to belong somewhere and I need to be held by something, and for some reason I'm not, that need for me to belong, that I for somehow my whole life can't figure out how I can belong, and I'm longing as deeply as I can to be a part of something, to feel a part of something, that need to belong comes in its purest form, could be met by Hashem. Hashem chakartani, Hashem, you have searched me. You have searched me through and through. If there's any, any being that could know me fully, it's only Hashem. Not a spouse, not a friend, not a parent, not a teacher, not a therapist, not even myself. If there's one being that can see me fully, it's you, Hashem. Bateda, and you know me. You know everything about me. It's not creepy. Of course, the Pashup shot here, if, if we read through the whole thing, the Pashup shot seems to be that David Amalek in context is talking about that you have seen my sins, you have seen my averas. But if we read just the words, the words just say, Hashem chakartani bateda, you Hashem, have searched me to be choker something doesn't just mean to search. It means to analyze deeply. You've analyzed deeply. You have searched and plumbed the depths of all that is broken, of all that love, all that love that have manias and steers, all of that brokenness that exists in my life, that my need to love someone or my need to be loved, whatever we're talking about, all across the board, any love that doesn't make it from point A to point B, that love is that love is purified, it can be purified, 
It's not necessarily the easiest thing. It sometimes takes a lifetime to work on, but that capacity for me to purify that love and recognize that that love doesn't go anywhere. My need to be loved and the emptiness I feel sometimes inside does not mean that it's over. It means that somehow, somewhere, there's a, there's a certain calling inside of me to look up and see Hashem looking down at me and Hashem saying, Chikarti, I searched for you, Batedi, and I know you, and I see you. Ata Yadata, you Hashem, no. Shivti, you know my sitting. Echa Yashva Badad, how is it possible for us to sit in loneliness? Ata Shivti, Hashem, you know where I sit. You know where I've fallen. You know where I'm where I'm grounded. You know where I'm falling apart. You know where I can't, I'm paralyzed and I'm and I'm stuck in this place. Vikumi, and you know when those times when I'm able to manifest. Shivti can also mean like surrender. You know my surrendering, Vikumi, my my manifestation. You Hashem anticipate my thoughts from far away. Even when I am far away, even when I feel completely distant, and even when I feel completely distant from you, you're still you still paying attention to everything that is going on inside of me. We say this every year, and I think this every year because I, I wrote it in my master a bunch of years ago. On Yom Kippur, we say, It's a Pasuk. The Piamenta made a song about it. The, the hidden things are for you, Hashem. And that which is revealed is revealed to us and our children forever. What does it mean? And what's the, juxtapos the juxtaposition between the way that Hashem sees me and the way that others see me? the way that I see myself in public versus the way that I see myself through the eyes of Hashem, the difference is this. When I see myself through the eyes of someone else, when we look at each other, the first thing we are confronted with is behavior. If I see you, I see the things you do. I see the way you look. I see the way whatever you express. And my automatic response, even if I see deeply into you, my automatic response is only going to be based on what I see and what I experience with you. So if somebody were to ask me, tell me something about you, what I'm going to do is I'm going to infer all kinds of motivations based on your behavior, based on what you express. Based on what you express, it's the way that I know you. I know you through what you express. So how do I know what your motivations are? I only know what your motivations are based on your behavior. Hashem is the opposite. Hashem knows everything about me. That means that Hashem starts in the inside out. Hashem sees the motivation. Hashem sees the story. Hashem sees everything that's going on in my life. And from there, Hashem then interprets behavior. And Nistaris la Hashem means that Hashem begins in the Nistaris. Hashem begins in that which is hidden. Hashem knows every single Nisayon I have. Hashem knows every single deep, dark corner within me. Hashem knows every time that I was hiding out in a dark corner, I was hiding for, in Davin case, I was hiding from Avshalom, or I was hiding from 
myself or I was hiding from someone else or I was hiding from Hashem. Wherever I was hiding, Hashem is in that space, not as an angry warlord waiting to, waiting to, to slaughter me, the opposite. Hashem's holding me in that space. Hashem, Hashem, you recognize and understand why I'm hiding in the corner. You know why, as Yaina Hanavi, I'm running away and I'm and I'm and I'm and I'm rejecting everything that you're calling me to do. So we read we read Yaina Hanavi and Yom Kippur. Yaina was called by Hashem to do something, and he said, "I can't handle it. I have to run away. I couldn't. I can't, can't handle the calling. The calling is too great. It's not. It's I'm not. I'm not big enough." Even in that place of running away, even in that place where I feel like I'm so distant, Hashem is there. And that's really, I think, the only way we can enter the time of the year, this is the time of the year that's called the, uh, right? David Melch says in, uh, Shlomo Melch says in Kahelas, Eis Lehov Ve'es Lisna. This is called the Yemei Sina. That's what we're entering now. We're entering the days where, where sometimes, somehow, we feel, it's not, it doesn't mean days of hatred. It means we feel hatred. We feel like there's a lot of maniyas and stiras to Ahava. There's a lot of things that are preventing us from feeling uh, um, the, the love of Hashem. Whether it's from, from the Teva or, or from the Torah. We talk a lot about Kirvasilakim. We talk a lot about having a relationship with God, an attachment perspective with Hashem. And it's something that's really, really difficult. It's very difficult to have a relationship with a being that doesn't talk back to us, that doesn't communicate in any normal way of communication, that seems to be very distant and either is way too abstract and ethereal and is up in the sky, you know, arranging world politics, or is sitting in my life demanding in, uh, in, in, a, in a harsh way that I do this and I do this and I do this and I do this and I do this. Ask most people to define God. Most people right away are going to say one of two things. Either Hashem is busy controlling the world or Hashem is waiting for me to control my life. It's one of those two things power, control, that's, that's the general way that we, we tend to think of Hashem automatically, unless you've, you've worked on yourself or you've learned something more sophisticated than that. What about the simple idea that Hashem sees me? Hashem looks down on me and he sees me and he bears witness to everything that goes on in my life. What about the simple experience of recognizing that all that exists in this world is a manifestation of Ava. That's what Rav Cook is talking about here. Everything that exists in my life is a manifestation, an expression of love. That's the, it's not just the language of Hashem. It's, it's, I guess I don't have a better, a better word to describe it. It's the language of Hashem. It's the language and the essence and the meaning behind the language that Hashem communicates everything in this world with. Now, of course, we talked about this last week. Nobody, nobody can interpret why things happened in Miami, let's say, 
or things happened in Stalin or things happened in, in Mayron or things happened in the world with coronavirus. Nobody, nobody, nobody could describe how that's a loving thing. And we believe somewhere, like we said last week, that there's a place called Ma'al HaShemayim, right? We said Amalek, Amalek of Cook said that Amalek is only meant to be destroyed in the Tachas HaShemayim, underneath the heavens. But above the heavens, Amalek's not meant to be destroyed. The, the stuff that we we have not been learning that I've been skipping in this in this in this safe from, from Rav Cook is talking about loving evil. We didn't really get into it. We're not not really going to get much into it, I, I don't think. But that's a tough. It's a tough question. How do, what does it mean to love evil? What does it mean to experience evil as loving? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. It's a side hagolus. It's a secret of gullus. We we don't really have an answer to that. But we have to recognize that evil, this is really the Hakdama, evil doesn't really exist in essence. We can't make drushes about evil, especially this time of year. We don't make drushes about evil. We have to know two things. We have to know that evil somehow is a, is a, is a perversion of love, Evil is kishiyesh al when love has resistance. Love is not being able to be expressed somehow. Somehow, love is not is is having its hard time finding its way to to the right recipient. It's somehow not able not able to get it out. We're not able to express it. Whether it's we don't have someone in, in our lives to express the love to, or we don't have someone in our lives to receive the love from, or it's someone that's in our life but we don't know how to be loving towards that person. We don't know how to express that love. These are all examples of what, what in our modern day life we can call evil. But even larger than that, when there's real evil, like tragedy that strikes, we have to believe somewhere, somehow, that that somehow has to do with love. And we don't know how, and we don't know why. But the next words in Rav Cook say, it's not a silver lining. Children don't die and people don't die getting smashed underneath buildings because, because in, 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 in a simple way, just because it's, it's, you know, it's going to make us stronger. Post-traumatic growth, right? Post-traumatic growth is not a reason. It's not the reason why trauma happens. But we have to believe in the concept of post-traumatic growth, right? You can't turn around and say that bad things happen because you can grow from the bad things, that you're never, ever allowed to say that to someone. It's delicious to say that to someone. But, but that people can grow from death, that people can grow from pain, that people from, can grow from tragedy. Love that is not fully expressed, love that is, that is truncated. That love is a love that somehow is asking us to turn back to Hashem. It's asking us to turn, turn back to Hashem, not just because it's painful, but because the etzem pain is love disguised. And that's what I want. That's really what I, what I want to get to. That's, that's, the, that's the punchline of the whole thing. Pain is simply love disguised. Pain is love disguised. And if you want to know what to do with it, because it's, it's, it, we don't know how to find the love within it, Rav Cook is telling us, turn it back to Hashem. Not turn back to Hashem out of pain. Turn back to Hashem because there's something much, much more vibrant that's meant to be happening inside of you. 
that pain, that truncated love, that inability to be fully, full-fledged expressed, it's meant to go back to God. I'm not meant to belong amongst people. I'm meant to belong in, in, in God's eyes. It's not that I'm meant to be seen by everyone in this world. It's I'm meant to be seen by Hashem. I doesn't mean me personally, although it does mean me personally, but it does, it does mean the larger sense of I. When a person can turn around and, say, and, and look up to Shemayim and say, and say Hashem, you search for me and you know me and you see me fully, that's an experience of being able to turn pain and look back to Hashem and recognize that all pain is somehow a description of something that's meant to be loving. And I might never, ever understand it. But, but within my ability to turn back to Hashem and to talk to Hashem and to experience that Hashem is looking down at me and Hashem sees me fully and Hashem is with me in my tears and Hashem is with me in that darkest place. In fact, it's only Hashem being with me that allows me to go to the darkest place. And that's what we're going to talk about next, the next year, Hashem, the importance of going to the dark places. It's only through that. It's only through my capacity to know that Hashem is chakartani, Hashem is searching for me, and He knows me. You know the points in my life where I'm, where I'm laying under the rubble on the bottom of the floor, and you also know the transcendent times, the times that are great, the times that are high, the times that I've risen above. You, Hashem, anticipate, you understand deeply all of my inner thoughts, all of my inner world, Merachit, from far away, and next week we'll, we'll go to the, the, the next my whole journey in life, you've been providing for me wherever I've gone, in whatever way that I've fallen prey to my impulses, you're with me, you're guiding me, you're taking me, you're leading me, you're with me, I don't have words to express. There are no words to express. There are no words to be able to express what it means to feel like you know me. It's something that's beyond. There are no words to express what, what you are, Hashem. There are no words to express what it's like when I'm able to turn love that is truncated, love that is that is wearing the, the you know, sheep in wolf's, in wolf's clothing, right? The Yaakov and Esav. Uh, a, a Yaakov that's dressed up like an Esav that looks like it's pure pain, it's pure hell. When love is, is resisted, when love is held back, that capacity to purify that love, to, to, to take that love and bring it back to its source, and to see it for what it is, which is Hashem seeing me in the deepest way possible, a mila bilashayni, there are no words to describe what that experience is like. We should be zeichet to enter this time of the three weeks, like the story that I say every year, that, that uh, is, cause it, not just not because just it's paradoxical, but because it's, 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 a, it's a big lesson of the Rebbe that they found dancing on Tisha B'av, and they asked him, Rebbe, why are you dancing on Tisha B'av? And he said, because I'm, being Mekayim a mitzvah of Avelis. There's a mitzvah of Avelis, and you have to be Mekayim all mitzvahs besimcha. So I'm dancing to be Mekayim the mitzvah of Avelis besimcha. The oxymoron, the paradox of that is very clear because 
Avelis is not about sadness. Avelis is having a deep, sophisticated way to deal with sadness. It's to celebrate sadness. It's to honor pain. It's not simply to be in pain. It's, it's, it's the opposite of suffering. Tishavav is healing of all suffering. We should be zeichel, all of us, to walk through these three weeks with Halavai. Hashem should bring no more tsars to Kali Yisrael, Halavai. And Hashem should bring Mashiach now. But no matter how we go through the next three weeks to understand that in the panemius of all of it, it's all the essence of love. There's, this is a very loving time. It's just, it's just uh, cloaked in, in tremendous pain. And we don't understand that. And that's okay. It's okay for us to not understand how pain is loving. It's okay. We, don't, we, we, we can move beyond that. The last two or three generations needed to ask that question philosophically, theologically. We're beyond it. We, we can we can be macabre that we'll, we won't understand that's okay, even though the natural tendency is to ask why. But it's pain is not intellectual, pain is emotional. So the question why doesn't really exist. There's no words in my tongue to, to describe the sweetness and the beauty of what it means to be seen fully by Hashem. We should be zeichet to, uh, to beautiful things.